Hey guys, what's up? It's been a minute for Find Your Film, the Find Your Film podcast. I am back. It's been about a month. This is episode 167. Very timely way to come back though for the Find Your Film podcast because of a couple of things. The biggest thing is Korean cinema. If you are anywhere near New York or if you're going to spend the weekend in New York, this is Friday. I'm recording this from September 1st to the 17th at Film at Lincoln Center. There will be a retrospective called Korean Cinema's Golden Decade, the 1960s. Again, Korean Cinema's Golden Decade, the 1960s, playing over at Film at Lincoln Center. Should be a great weekend for watching Korean cinema. And again, September 1st to the 17th, you have a couple weeks to check it out. I should have posted this uh, this podcast last night, Thursday. But you know what? You might miss a couple of the, the screenings tonight on Friday. But again, this is really cool because... For me, I'm not in New York, I'm in LA, but there's a couple things you can do regarding supporting this, regarding Korean cinema if you're not in New York, and I'm going to tell you that in a second. But Eric Holmes, he interviewed founding member, Subway Cinema founding member, lead series programmer, Goran Topolovic, and he's interviewed him before for another film festival, I believe it's a, I don't know, how do you pronounce it, Wusha, Wusha, Wusha Film Festival, that he did several months ago with Subway Cinema, but this time out Subway Cinema in conjunction with the Korean Film Archive as well as the Korean Cultural Center New York. They are hosting this. They're co-programming this series, which is Korean Cinema. And here's the thing. I know very little about Korean Cinema. I know probably as much as the average cinephile, and I still haven't seen Old Boy. I'm thinking of Korean movies right off the top of my head, Memories of Murder. What else? There's a movie called The Housemaid, which specifically was during the 1960s. And the reason why I saw The Housemaid was it's currently stream, streaming on Criterion Channel. Saw it a couple years ago. Really loved it then. And it's very good that it's streaming, not streaming, it's showing here at the film festival. But you can also see these movies, actually, if you're not in New York, just go to the YouTube channel for most of these films, Go to the Korean Film Archive YouTube channel. I believe most of these are subtitled, so you can watch these movies. And what you can do is go to the Film at Lincoln Center website for the schedule of the screenings of the movies, what day they're screening, et cetera, et cetera, and actually read up a little bit more about these respective films. If you can't see it or purchase a ticket in New York, you can actually go to the YouTube channel of the Korean Film Archive. So sub to that channel and start watching their movies and maybe have some kind of parallel view with this Korean cinema's golden decade, the 1960s. Bottom line is, the this YouTube channel, for, which I discovered thanks to Eric Holmes' interview with Goran Topolovic, I'm really excited to, I sub, I sub to the to the channel and, and I'm going to start watching Korean cinema. I also want to go back to New York. I haven't been back to New York since 9-11, since 2001. So one of these days, I definitely want to go back to New York. I love that whole area, film at Lincoln Center. And oh yeah, so definitely one of these days, it would be a big dream to go back to New York and watch a ton of movies. Unfortunately, I will not be able to see the, the Korean cinema movies, all these movies, this 1960s films this weekend at, over at Film at Lincoln Center. But what you can do is to, to actually listen to this interview with Goin Topolovic and he gives some insights on why he decided to 
spearhead this project and what makes Korean movies, especially during that decade, such a unique viewing and creative experience. So that's very good. You're going to hear that interview in a few moments. Hit me up on info at findyourfilms.com if you have it your, with, regarding your own experience with Korean movies, if you have any recommendations to throw my way. The only recommendation I can give you right now is what memories of murder and what else? Oh, yeah, the housemaid. That's it. <laughs> so I have a lot of catching up to do. Hopefully, within the next couple of weeks, I will know a little bit more about Korean movies thanks to this whole situation, this retrospective film series that has been dropped on our laps. Again, Korean cinema's golden decade, the 1960s, September 1st through the 17th. Here is the interview with Goran Topolovic. And towards the end of this episode, I have seen the first two episodes of this movie, not movie, of the series on Apple TV called The Changeling. It stars Lakeith Stanfield. The first three episodes drop September 8th. So I haven't seen the third episode yet. I have all episodes already because me, Eric, and Bruce, we get a lot of the early Apple screenings, screeners. So I should be doing this more. And I think The Changeling is some, is worth talking about a little bit towards the end of this episode, okay? So again, September 8th, The Changeling, Lakeith Stanfield. I will give some spoiler reactions and reviews regarding the first two episodes. Thanks again for supporting me, Bruce and Eric here on Find Your Film and of course, Cinematics. Though our website is findyourfilms.com. All that stuff will be in the show notes as well as the where you can check out more information on Subway Cinema and the Korean Film Archive, etc., etc., as well as this retrospective. Here's the interview with Goran Tobolovic. And then after that, check out my just very quick thoughts on The Changeling. Take care, guys. Bye. How are you doing, Eric? Uh, really good. Actually, Goran, thanks for joining me again uh, today. Uh, last time sure. you were here, I got like a bunch of movies to watch. And like I kind of opened up a whole a whole new world, and I've been a fan of uh, Korean cinema mostly because of like Bong Joon Ho and Park Chan Wook uh, right. from like. But all I know of uh, Korean cinema really is from early late nineties, early two thousands on. And so, uh, with Subway Cinema, you're doing film at Lincoln Center. Uh, Korean's Korean cinema's golden decade, the nineteen sixties, from September first to the seventeenth. Um, I guess we'll start off. What what makes the uh for you? What makes the 1960s the golden decade for Korean cinema? Right. So, uh, you know, I think most uh, cinephiles are familiar with Korean films from late 90s into 2000s, like like you mentioned. So, uh, so the question for us was: Okay, when was the last time that the Korean cinema experienced a uh, kind of similar type of boom in terms of creativity and volume of production and, uh, and, and just the growth of the domestic industry. And after doing some research, it was obvious that that was the 1960s era. Right. And a uh, um, couple of reasons for that. Right. And actually it's quite remarkable. If you think about it, uh, the Korean war ended in 1953 and then in the, you know, late, so the, the golden age, kind of many scholars think that, okay, it really starts late 50s, goes all the way into maybe early 70s, and there's some debates, like what are the exact uh, and uh, start and end points. 
but from our uh, perspective, just to kind of make the cura- curation a bit easier and more focused, we said, well, let's let's do the 1960s. And it really, it is in the 1960s that, that you reach that kind of pinnacle of... Uh, um, of the, of the film uh, film production and uh, and the range just the sheer range of variety of films that are being made right and um, some of the reasons for that is a combination of several factors right so the first of all uh, you know the whole country is going to rapid industrialization right and as a part of that the the, the domestic film industry is also modernizing and growing right and uh, the government had policies in place. Uh, uh, it, it was it was very much kind of hands-on state control, right? Because the the, the government really controlled uh, almost every aspect of, of production and and distribution, and uh, there was also protectionism in play, right? Because they also control how many foreign films were uh, were imported, and 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 then which uh, production companies would uh, would get uh, uh, get to distribute them, because that meant. Uh, you know, that was a bit of a cash cow, like whenever you distribute a Hollywood film, right? Um, uh, so anyway, so there were, there were all these uh, circumstances in terms of policy uh, that then impacted uh, how the production system was structured and grew in, in, in Korea. And it, it sort of became sort of like a Hollywood studio system, although with Korean characteristics, certainly. Um, and uh, at the time, there was also just a lot of creative energy Right, uh, uh, rebuilding after the war, and a lot of passionate filmmakers who had you know stories to tell, um, and uh, that kind of all aligned uh, fortuitously, right? So, and uh, that time period produced a lot of uh, a lot of brilliant films that I mean to this day I, I really uh, have test this to the test of time. And I think this is a great opportunity for people to experience and get to know some of these great films. That's really our classics of world cinema, not just Korean cinema. Yeah. Uh, in the, so in like the contemporary, what, one of the things I love about, uh, Korean movies, at, at least the, the ones I've seen, the contemporary ones is on the surface, they look like, uh, movies that, you know, kind of American movies, you know, like, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you take like Memories of Murder, for example. It's like, oh, okay, I know what this is. And then you start yeah. watching and go, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this <laughs> is, right. And I, I was wondering if that was like a contemporary thing. But then I saw um, of the ones that you have listed, I've only seen uh, Bloodthirsty Killer mm-hmm. uh, just last night. And, yeah, so and, and that has the same kind of energy. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is a film noir. I know what this is. Oh, no, I don't have any idea don't- where where, where where do you suppose that 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 creativity comes from? Because it it feels like almost like they're going by like certain kind of uh, 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 American formula, and then they they twist it in such amazing ways almost every time. Yeah, that's that's a really good observation. Um, so huh, where does it come from? I mean, obviously, uh, they they all had a model in terms of what to follow. And that there was that exposure to, to Hollywood filmmaking, but also I think exposure to, to European films as well. Right. So, um, so for example, if you look at something like, you know, bloodthirsty killer, right. So it, it does have some of elements maybe from, from hammer horror films, you would say perhaps. Right. But ultimately the, the story itself is very typical uh, a, a Korean um, a horror story template, which involves a woman that's been 
uh, wronged, betrayed, and murdered, and then she comes back as a ghost to haunt uh, and and to to look for revenge, right? So, um, and so it's kind of interesting things happen, you know, between uh, when Korean filmmakers applying some of these influences and techniques to 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 their own uh, cultural content, right? So, so there, I, I think it's almost like you're kind of experimenting with things in a way. And, the, and then something great happens in the process, right? Yeah. Uh, I, perhaps I, that's one way of looking at it. I don't know if I don't know if I asked you this last time. Um, I don't think so, but I'll ask anyway. Uh, but through um, when you were doing the Wuxia, the the uh, yep. the kung fu uh, Taiwanese, films. yep, Ta- Taiwan sword fighting, yep, yeah, and then the uh, now the Korean Golden Age of the 1960s. These are like these are areas of film that I just did not know about and would not have come across on my own had it not been for, for you and subway cinema, like putting it together and putting it in front of me and go, Oh wow, this is a thing. Have you ever considered doing like a, like a boutique thing, like arrow film or criterion collection or something like that? Because I, I think there's some amazing movies here that just don't yeah. get out there. And I think, I, I think I, it'd be great I, if I know, they did. Yeah. I know what you mean, but I don't think that we've ever seriously considered doing something like that. I mean, we, we, as subway cinema, we might've thought of it back in the day, you know, when we we're still doing a new occasion, but, I don't know. Just uh, and anyway, I think Arrow and and Criterion and uh, you know uh, other other labels are already doing a lot of this. So uh, the challenge is is there's a lot of content out there, right? It's like so when when do they get to it, right? So I'm I'm sure they have probably acquired some some of the movies that we've shown, but they just didn't really get to to release them yet, right? So. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I don't think that we really have the bandwidth and the interest and the capacity to actually have a, uh, a home video label, right? I think there are people who are already doing that and, and they're really good at it. And uh, where we can provide support if any of these labors are interested in some of these films and, you know, we can we can help to get them in touch with the right folks and, you know, whatever other support they may require, or we can make suggestions. Hey, this would be a good movie to release. But other than that, I I don't think that we would be doing anything like it. So, because keep keep in mind that, that all the program film program activities that we're engaged at, it's something that we do uh, part time, right? It's, it's a little thing on the side, right? So we all have day jobs and, and and lives with, (laughs) so there's only, only so much, so many hours in a day. Right. I get that. But but you're right. There is plenty of content out there. But I'm speaking yeah. of art, which is what we're talking about with the golden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. So like, how do you how do you curate these? Like, I'm I'm guessing uh, these are 35 millimeter prints that you're that you're. So uh, so it's going to be a combination, right? We do have some 30 millimeter prints, but it's not exclusively 35 millimeter prints, right? I think majority is really the DCPs which are the restored versions of, of these films, which Korea... So I, have, I really have to make a big plug for the Korean film archive, right? So, so this series, uh, you know, it's, it's officially co-curation with the Korean film archive and with, uh, with my friend Eric uh, Che from, from the Korean film archive, right? So we jointly uh, put this program together. Um, and it, it, it was, it was not easy because there were a lot of films that you kind of wanted to show, but there was no room or they weren't really good fit for, for various reasons. Right. So, so, uh, sometimes the movies that you don't show are even more interesting than the ones that you do. You know? So, but anyway, there's a lot to explore there for those who are interested and there's Korean film archive has a YouTube channel for it, but Korean film archive has provided majority of the screening materials. And over the years, they've, they've done a great job restoring these films and also, 
you know, working with uh, other film archives around the world to see if they can find some of the films that were considered lost, right? So, um, and they have also worked on kind of negotiating uh, and and clearing all this uh, copyright uh, permissions uh, for us to be able to show these movies in New York. Because when it comes to the old films, uh, it's usually challenging to figure out who is the copyright holder, especially since some of these companies no longer exist. So kind of trying to establish that chain of ownership and who do you need to talk to? And maybe that's this... This uh, elderly gentleman in Korea somewhere and trying to reach them and just like <laughs> talk to them on the phone. So they've, they've, Korean Film Archive has done a lot of that work in order to make this series possible. And yeah. I also want to give, give, I also want to give a shout out to the Korean Cultural Center in New York, who has also supported this, this, this program as well, especially from the financial side. So, uh, you can imagine the, the, the costs that are involved in, in putting all this together. Yeah, I'm. I'm not familiar with like the the Asian politics. Uh, only in so much that the uh, American propaganda allows me to. But I've heard. I've heard that the uh, um, like the uh, Chinese, for example, there's a lot of censorship there. So I imagine it'd be hard to go back to find movies that they don't want to see. Or maybe maybe I'm completely ignorant and wrong about that. Uh, it, have you found it? easier more difficult or about the same to uh kind of find korean movies in that regard uh no for for korean movies it was not it was not difficult at all right because uh um uh, there there's really no i mean censorship anymore in that regard right so uh i i think with the with, with the china maybe things are a little bit more challenging when it comes to to programming films from mainland china just because of of, of the politics they're kind of becoming increasingly sort of moving toward a kind of new cold war in a way. Right. So any kind of cultural exchange almost kind of becomes suspect, which is unfortunate. Right. So, um, and, um, but as far as South Korea is concerned, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a democracy and then there's really no censorship. Uh, like, I mean, it used to be back in the day. Uh, it was more of authoritarian government. And uh, and it's actually sort of uh, some some of the the policy decisions that that the government made back in the day kind of uh, contributed to the decline of the film industry in Korea in the seventies and and into the eighties and it didn't really truly come back until the new Korean cinema. So yeah, um, yeah. So last time you were here, I had you put a movie in the box, and we haven't pulled it from the box yet. But I know I was going to talk to you, so I watched Dragon in anyway. <laughs> it was pretty rad, right? Um, but uh, so so we got the the kung fu movies, nineteen sixties Korean cinema. What's like another? What's like another kind of uh, overlooked? Not not just a movie, but like an overlooked kind of uh, film area, whether it's Asian cinema or wherever that uh, no. I, I can start watching now. So when I talk to you a third time, then I don't have to uh, cram the night before. Well, I mean, I gotta tell you, we don't we don't really plan that much in advance. Like, what what do we want to focus on next as far as our programs, or or or, yeah. or putting a spotlight on a kind of previously unknown or lesser known area of, of of Asian cinema? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it just it's, um, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to say really. <laughs> um, we might, uh. Although this is not unknown, but I don't know, we we might do something. Uh, we're thinking of for our next old school, old school kung fu fest. Potentially, we would put a spider or an Angela Mao as a, as an action star. But I don't know if, if you're familiar 
I'm not. So this is perfect. Okay. All right. So there, there's, there's, you know, it's a Taiwanese actress, but, but she also worked in Hong Kong and made a lot of movies in, in Hong Kong as well. So, um, I guess, yeah. I guess, I guess similar to that, uh, that question, like what kind of, uh, what, what put, what, what put all these different decades and, uh, areas of film on your radar? Because they were never on mine until I came across, until I came across you. So like what put these, type of movies on your radar well i mean maybe it's a little bit easier for us just in the sense that we kind of have been focused and specializing in in east asian cinema in particular for the past 20 years right so there are a lot of you know when we're doing our our own research and we're you know learning about things then we oh okay what about this oh wait oh this is interesting they, they were making these uh gambling films in taiwan back in like the 80s or something oh maybe that would be something interesting to you know so uh, it, that that's sort of how how these things come about, I guess, and and it's out of our own personal curiosity, right? So we did, yeah. we, we come across something. It's like, oh, I'd like to learn more about this. Like, are there movies? Like, what, who can we talk about? Okay, let's talk to the film archive. Like, so this guy, you know, it's like uh, that's how it happens, right? So yeah, it's kind of um, it, it's kind of it's kind of fun. Like you're, you're uh, in exciting, like just being like, oh, I watch a lot of movies. I know all this, and then you find like this little corner of like film. It's like wait, where did this come from? And then you get into that and then you're looking at someone else like, Oh wow. And so it's yeah. kind of like the, kind of like the Dunning Kruger effect. The more, you know, the more, you know, that you don't know. So yeah, exactly. So, so even what we know is, is, is maybe here and what we don't know is like all the way up. Yeah. There, right. So <laughs> uh, that, that's how it is. Right. So, um, but you know, as, as long as we're, we're able to share these films with, uh, uh, with appreciative audiences, uh, you know, we were going to keep doing it. Right. So, yeah. Well, Gorn, uh, it's great to have you on again. Um, and uh, we got the uh, Korean Cinema's Golden Decade, the 1960s, from September 1st to the 17th at Film at Lincoln Center. And I suppose you can go to subwaycinema.com. And Correct. You can go to subwaycinema.com, and you can also go to filmlink.org to purchase tickets. That's the Film at Lincoln Center's website, so they're taking care of all that. All right. Well, Gorn, pleasure having you as always, and hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, thank, thanks for having me, Eric. Always uh, good chatting with you. Take thank care. You. Hey guys, I'm back. September 8th, The Changeling, Apple TV Plus. I believe that's how you, I said Apple TV during the intro. I think it's Apple TV Plus. I'm so behind with movie, with not movie watching, with TV series watching. This year, I'm making a concerted effort to watch more series and review it on one of the three channels I do. It just I have all these reviews all over the place. But The Changeling, starring Lakeith Stanfield, it hits Apple TV Plus on September 8th. And for the first two episodes, it's an eight-part drama, limited series, and I'm already hooked. And I'll, I'll give you guys a couple of reasons why. I'm going to read the plot synopsis right now, and then hopefully it doesn't have any real spoiler stuff here. Quote, based on the claimed best-selling book of the same name by Victor Lavelle, the Changeling is a fairy tale for grown-ups, a horror story, a parenthood fable, and a perilous odyssey through a New York City you didn't know existed. In addition to Stanfield, the series stars Clark Bacco, Adina Porter, Samuel T. Herring, Alexis Louder, Jared Abramson, and special guest star Malcolm Barrett. Okay, so I'm going to break down the first two episodes, not regarding plot details, but just general broad strokes to give you an idea of what what my feelings are regarding the changeling. So it centers on this book dealer played by Lakeith Stanfield. 
And the first episode deals with how he tries, attempts to woo the librarian at his local library. I believe it's in Queens, Queens, New York, and he's hitting on her. And that librarian is played by Clark Bacco. I think that's how you pronounce her name, Clark Clark Bacco. And she's very good in this from the first two episodes I've seen. So the first maybe 15, 20 minutes is sort of a meet-cute situation where you realize here's this book dealer and he's asking this girl out, this librarian out. She initially rejects him. She, In fact, she rejects him several times. And he can seem like a stalker, but there's a reason why he's... There's a difference between being persistent and being a stalker. And the changeling actually breaks it down pretty in a very cool manner on why this guy, this book dealer, is not, at least for the first two episodes, is not a stalker. He's a really nice guy who just has found, supposedly, the woman of his dreams, right? And their courtship within the first episode is very intriguing. The banter with them at the when they actually eventually go on a date is very good. A lot of the stuff is not spoilers because the changeling is the actual name of the changeling. You know they're eventually going to get together. There's going to be a baby involved. Who know if who knows if the baby is the changeling or if the baby is haunted. So when you look at the trailer, you're going to get all of these little snippets of the actual episode details of the series details, that is. But for the first two episodes, what I really love the most is the fact that it so far it's a horror it's a horror thriller and it's ramping up to something really hope I, I very seemingly a very scary apocalyptic and pretty fierce and I'm having my guesses so far but at the heart of the changeling is it's a family drama that actually takes a deep dive into the generational lives of both of these lovers the librarian and the book dealer for the first couple of episodes you get to see where they come from, their their respective parents and their family. So while there there is this one train, this one plot line, which deals with how they meet cute in the library, how they have the baby and they get together, there's all of these little plot lines, which deals with the past, with how they were raised, what kind of, how they are haunted by their past and why trauma continues to be a big part of who they are as people so far. And from what I'm gathering, this movie will, this series will also deal with postpartum depression, maybe mental health issues, just, and yeah, generational trauma, but all within the framework of a horror thriller and the way it's shot and edited. You get a really dark feeling, dark, not grimy, dark, very introspective, scary feeling of New York. It's not a very sunny, from what I've seen, it's not a very sunny looking series, okay? The Changeling, but the Keith Stanfield and Clark Baco, or Baco, I don't know how to pronounce the name, forgive me for that, but they have a very good chemistry going. And right now, you're getting to really understand there's there are some super possibly supernatural situations going on because again this goes right with the trailer you get to see how they're initially separated when they're even though they're together they're initially separated because the clark backos character she decides to go to brazil to follow some kind of situation i think she 
if I'm recalling, she's just, she needs to go to Brazil. She promised herself she would go to Brazil. And then she doesn't really promise her boyfriend, the book dealer, that she's going to come back. But there's such a connection that we're assuming eventually she's going to get back to New York. But while she's in Brazil, she encounters some kind of what might look like a witch at a local stream waterfall area in a remote section of Brazil. And that woman tells her, you shouldn't have come here. You were already warned not to come here in her native tongue. She's telling she's telling the woman, Do, you were warned to come here. And just because you've come here and you've not heeded everyone's advice, people's advice to, to not come here, I'm going to grant you three wishes. And what happens is she grants the woman three wishes. She goes back to New York. And ultimately, through a series of events, these wishes manifest themselves into the lives of of this young couple in New York City. Again, I'm only 25% of the way done with The Changeling, and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to binge watch it. I really love it. Lakeith Stanfield, he's very, very good in this series, and I want to see how it actually works out. But it's really interesting because as horrifying and as terrifying as the first, actually the second episode is, you, you can only see a lot of darkness and possible evil coming into play. In this series, at its heart, so far, is a very interesting look at the ties that bind family and parents and kids. And it's a very, it's a family film for horror fans in a weird way. So that's what I think so far of The Changeling. I'll probably report back next week on Find Your Film and give you my overall thoughts on The Changeling. So... So far, it's rocking a four and a half out of five star kind of situation with The Changeling. Again, September 8th on Apple TV Plus, The Changeling. This is only the first two episodes. And thanks again for listening to this episode on podcast. So support us over at findyourfilms.com. That is a website where I'm posting, trying to post more on that website, as well as my YouTube channel, Find Your Films, the Find Your Films YouTube channel. So overall, eventually, I want to actually have that website be in all-encompassing movie website, which will house our stuff in cinematics, our movie reviews, some archive interviews. That's the goal. That's the dream. All right, guys. Thanks again. And talk to you guys soon here on Find Your Film. Bye.